You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Samuel chapter 7 this morning. Begin at verse number 1. And if this portion of Scripture looks familiar to you, it's because we've been here for four weeks now, right? And so, and, and just a little heads up, we will be here next week as well. So, 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse number 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in kerjeth Jerem, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Astroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. They come to a place where they make themselves right with God. They want this relationship with him. And verse 7 says, And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against them. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And we've been here now for a while. And during this time in the chapter, we've learned several things. The first that we've seen is the idea of true repentance. Here, Israel... Become, they become sick of their sin. They hate their own sin. They're not worried about everyone else's sin. Their moms, their dads, their neighbors, their spouses, their children, they're worried about their own sin. And so they see it for what it is. They hate it in the sight of God. And so they hate their sin. And then they confess. Confession is agreeing with God. It's saying the same thing that God says. And from there they have this new obedience They put away their idols. They serve the Lord. They fast. And listen to me. Repentance without the idea of real change isn't real repentance. I don't say, God, I'm sorry, I hate this, I don't want to do this anymore, and then never do anything about it. Real repentance has fruit that bears evidence of that. And so we saw true repentance. Then we saw obedience. And understanding this morning that obedience does bring blessing... But sometimes we have to qualify blessing. There are times for the believer, like these Israelites, that when you decide to do right, when you're walking by faith, when you're committed to God, that bad things will happen. There are times that when you are obedient, it will have a high cost. It will cost you something. And I hope that we learned last week that the real blessing of obedience is Christ, He is the prize. He is the one we're looking to. He is our all in all. It is Christ. 
And then this morning, I want to just point out from this text the character of God. The character of God. This study in the Old Testament, I don't know about you. I mean, you keep on coming back. It must be of some value to you. But for me, it's been very valuable. As we began in Genesis and we're working our way through, it's allowed me to see the continuity of our God. Understand this morning, it is not the God of the Old Testament in comparison to the God of the New Testament. It is not a God of wrath compared to a God of love. That's not the case. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. They are one and the same. And I would submit to you this morning that in the New Testament, we see the attributes of love and wrath magnified. We see Christ in his compassion, loving the unlovely. I mean, it's magnified. We see the love of God portrayed on a cruel cross. It's magnified. But we also see that wrath magnified. Do you know Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than he spoke about heaven? Do you know he warned people constantly about the wrath to come? Do you know when you get to the book of Revelation and you see the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah that will rule and reign with a rod of iron? And all of his enemies will bow at his feet. And so we see the continuity of Old and New Testament. There's something else we've, at least I found in my study of the Old Testament, is that, we can, uh, that God can be totally unpredictable in his ways. In his ways. The Bible says that his ways are past finding out, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament and in our lives. There are times that God works in ways that amaze us. We see it in Scripture. We see it in our own lives. We couldn't imagine what he was doing in the process. There are times that we think we have God figured out and he should do this or that or this should be the next step. And do you know something? God isn't really concerned about what we think he should do. He's not asking anybody. He does what he does. He surprises us. Sometimes he brings us to a place that alarms us. We never thought we would be here. He takes us out of our, out of our comfort zone. And there are times that we must understand about this God. He is not predictable. We, we like to put things in boxes, right? Right? And to package them and nice and neat. And this is God and this is how he acts always. This is what he'll do. But listen to me. You cannot put God in a box. He will not go there. We must let God be God. And with that said, although his ways are past finding out, as we've studied the Old Testament, and particularly now in this passage of Scripture, I want you to know that our God is completely predictable and reliable when it comes to his character. This God, the Bible, is reliable because his character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we speak of God as being a God of love, we see that constantly his character doesn't change. We can count on that. God is love. God is compassionate. God loves us and he cares for us. He's concerned about our deepest needs. He hears. He knows. He understands He's consistent in his character. He is love. He is mercy. He is compassion. He is also holy, righteous, and just. It doesn't change. God hated sin. God hates sin. God will always hate sin. He doesn't change. 
This God is predictable in his character. This is the God that woos us, that longs for us, that comes after us. It was this way from the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam wasn't looking for God. God was looking for him. When God said, Adam, where art thou? It wasn't as if God lost him. God knew he was searching him out. And this is the God this morning who is all-sufficient. He is all-sufficient. He is the great I Am, the Lord, Yahweh, the self-existent one. What his people need, he will become. And we find it here in the text that this God is all-sufficient. Everything that his people need, he will supply. Now here's the problem with this character trait of God. Sometimes for us to understand his sufficiency... He's got to put us in a position where we are helpless and desperate. Because often we don't get there on our own. Listen to this quote by David Platt. He says this, God actually delights in exalting our inability. He intentionally puts his people in situations where they come face to face with their need for him. In the process... He powerfully demonstrates his ability to provide everything his people need in ways they could have never mustered up or imagined. And in the end, he makes much of his own name. This is our God. And this is what happens in our text. Here the children of Israel come, and they come to be right with him. They all gather in Mizpah. They're there to worship him. And all of a sudden, now they're surrounded by the Philistines. And they're in trouble. And God will show them once again his total sufficiency. How often we see this in Scripture. Do you remember the story of Abraham? God says, Abraham, come out from them, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And so he comes to the land of promise at 75, and God says, you're going to have a child. Now, I don't know about you, but having a child at 75 doesn't sound attractive to me. I find myself getting more and more tired as I get older. Well, yes. Was that for you or for me? For you. All right. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward now to not raising. We have work to do yet with our 13-year-old, but I'm looking forward now to grandbabies that you can hold for a little bit and then send them home, right? Yes. So 75 is an appealing, but it's 25 years after that that God decides to visit Abraham and Sarah and they have a son out of total inability We see God do this when he delivers his people from Egypt. They come out of Egypt as as slaves after 400 years. And what does God do? God leads them, but he leads them to the Red Sea in front of them and behind them, Pharaoh's army. They're in a place now where they can't depend on themselves. They can't depend on their know-how. They can't get out of this. They're in trouble. And God says, stand still and see my salvation. We've gone through the uh, story of the judges, and we find Gideon, who's about to go out and face the Midianites, and he musters an army of 32,000. And it seems like we can do this, and God says, no, that's too many. Let's cut it down to about, oh, 300. And let's make the odds 450 to 1. That way, you can never boast that it was your military prowess. It was all of me. We see that theme continued in the New Testament. And Jesus has his disciples and he says to them, hey, there's a gathering of people here. 
5,000 men, not counting women and children, maybe 20,000 people. And he says to his 12 disciples, listen to me, I want you to feed them. Now we have our picnics once a month and and it's not that difficult to feed uh, the folks here at about 200 with a bunch of hot dogs. No problem, right? It's a different world, different time. They didn't have preserved food. It's like, where are we going to find bread to feed these people? And Jesus already knew the answer. You're not. Philip, you're not. It is impossible, but I want you to know something. I am the bread of life. I am all-sufficient. He does it again in the lives of disciples when he tells them, listen, I want you to take a boat and row out to the middle of the sea. And as they row to the middle of the sea, they come across the storm. And he watches them struggle for four to six hours before he decides to walk across the water and save them. They'd come to the end of themselves. And here in our text, we see that God, through the prophet Samuel, leads them to a place where they are completely helpless. The children of Israel have come to worship, to be made right. So they all gather in Mizpah, and while they're there, the Philistines see them, and they are now surrounded. They are sitting ducks. They're in trouble, and they are desperate. There is no place to go. There is no help in sight. They're finished. And so this morning, I want to point out the fact of God's sufficiency, his all-sufficiency, and I want us this morning to understand that what we have need of we completely find in him. And this morning, there are some of us this morning that you're sitting here and you understand already that you are helpless and you are desperate. You get the idea. You understand the Philistines have gathered. There's no way out. I'm in trouble. I can't figure this out. I can't be smart enough. I don't know what to do next. I am their pastor. And there are others this morning that you have no idea how helpless and desperate that you are. But I assure you this morning, We're all in the same boat. And let me encourage you by saying this. This is a good place to be. For the believer in Jesus Christ, to be at the end of ourselves, to be helpless and desperate, is exactly where we want to be. One of our first world problems is that we tend to be self-sufficient. We have an idea that we can make it work, we can finagle, we can go to the bank, we can ask someone else, we can, uh, we're smart enough, we're uh, intelligent enough, we're charismatic enough, and we will make this thing work. We think we're in control. My friend, do you understand, you're in control of very little. Very little. I, I think of that bus trip. Parents waiting for their kids. It's a camp coming home. They're not in control of the driver or the road or the situation or our lives. There is very little we control. And yet we think, we, we've got it covered, man. I don't need anything. And I'm fearful that the church of Jesus Christ has become like the church of Laodicea. I am rich and increased with goods and I have need of nothing. And yet Christ said, without me... You can do nothing. You can do nothing. And so this morning, I want you to understand that we need him. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. My righteousness, my one defense, God, I need you. And this morning, no matter who you are this morning, we are in desperate need of him, whether we realize it or not. Some of us, 
It's obvious others were oblivious, but we need him this morning. And this is how our salvation begins. As believers this morning, our salvation began by understanding we are helpless and we are desperate. Salvation comes when we get to the point where we say, listen, God, it's not in my good works. It's not in my righteousness. It's not in what I do. It's not in my religion. It's not in my church. It's not that my good will outweigh my bad. God, I need you. And without you, the wrath for my sin will be poured out upon me. I will face judgment. I will face death. I will face eternal damnation. We understand that we're helpless. We're desperate when it comes to salvation. We need him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We are desperate in salvation. We are desperate in the situations of everyday life. Every day, we make decisions. We need him. Can I tell you something? Life is complicated. Life is difficult. Life is not easy. There's a saying uh, among um, Navy SEALs, and they say the only easy day was yesterday. It's true. This thing is bothering me. I don't know why that is, but it's clipped off the wrong way, and it's making me very angry. I can't even control that. I can't even control that either. All right? Every day we need him. We are daily confronted with evil. And some of it is subtle. Some of the evil that Christians face, it is one click away on a computer screen. Listen to me. Don't toy with pornography. Don't mess with pornography. It will destroy your life. It's a pandemic in our world today. We need God's help. Some of it is subtle. Some of it is brazen. You go off to work, you face the world, there's evil out there, man. Watch the news. We see it. We need strength to stand for righteousness. We need to be right. It's hard to live a godly life in the world that we find ourselves today. We need his help. We need his strength. We need his ability. It's hard to be the right father, the husband, the mother, the teen today. We need strength to do right to where we're called. We need him in our situation of everyday life. And then we need him in the stability of this church. The world today is being caught up, the church today is being caught up in, in gimmicks and plans and programs that work. Listen to me. We don't need new gimmicks and programs and plans. We need to seek God's face. He must bless. He must keep. He must provide. He must resource. He must build his church. We need him for the stability of this place. His spirit must empower his word. When you come to a service, no matter who's speaking, we need to pray that God empowers the word. You don't want my opinion, my thoughts, my ideas. We need to hear from God. And so we are helpless. We are desperate. We need him. We have to be careful. Sometimes in our Christian life, we know this mentally, and we give it mental assent, but we don't practice it. We become like little children who are spoiled. All of our boys, when they were growing up, uh, when they were learning to walk or do something, you know, about the age of, of one or so, we go to hold their hand, and as you're holding their hand, they take those first couple steps, you know, and after about two, they would think, I don't need you anymore. You know, I've been on the planet for a year now, I've got this thing covered. And they'd push your hand away. Our boys would say things like, I do, I do, I do. 
and they get irritated about it. I'm going to do this. And so you let them do it, um, and they fall on their face, and they have their struggles, right? And sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. I do. I don't need you. But can I tell you something? Our Father is pleased when we understand our sufficiency comes from Him and Him alone. He's pleased. Now look how this is displayed in our text. Look at verses 8 and 9 this morning. They're surrounded by the Philistines. They cry out. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. How is our sufficiency, our inability shown and displayed? We find it here. They cry out to the Lord. They pray. Christian, do you pray? Do you pray? There's a story of a little boy who was sitting in the front row and the pastor said, Moms, do you pray? Dads, do you pray? People, do you pray? The little five-year-old said, No! No. And the truth is, we become very self-sufficient. It's evident when we don't pray. We must pray. It is the breath of the Christian life. It is a believer saying, God, I am helpless, I am desperate, I need your help. We confess our need to him. That's what prayer is. We confess our need. We petition and ask him for help. Ask him for help. Do you face the day saying, God, here I am, I need you, Lord, please help me today. And if you don't, the question is why? You think you've got it covered? You don't. Listen, Life is too complicated, and God says, I am all-sufficient. You can trust me, call on me, and ask me for help. We've been, we've been in contact with A.J. Our oldest son was married back in May, and now he's down in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, it's miserable weather down there. Last, last week it was like 97 degrees Fahrenheit plus humidity. It's terrible every day. And so he got a job down there. He's working now for my, my brother-in-law, who's got a couple companies, and they deal with foundational work. And so he's starting from the ground level. He thought, oh, Uncle Tim, I'll be in charge of everybody when I come here, right? That's AJ. And Uncle Tim said, no, you're going to start at the very bottom where you belong, right? And he was surprised at that because that's AJ, and he just thinks that, you know, that's how it goes for him. And so he's busting concrete. He's busting concrete. And he's carrying it in buckets up from basements to a truck all day long. We talked to him on Skype a couple weeks ago, and he was falling asleep on Skype. I know I'm boring, but I mean, at least in, I, thought, I thought he'd at least keep his attention. He was exhausted. Exhausted. And he said something very um, mature the other day with me. He said, I'm praying every morning. That's good. And here's what I'm praying. Not that the work would be easy, but that I have grace to do what I'm supposed to do and work hard and be a good testimony. Now, I would pray that the work would be easy, too. I think I would, I would add that, all right? <laughs> if I'm asking, I might as well ask. But, but that's a mature prayer. Say, Lord, listen, I, I need you, and I understand the big picture here. I want to display you and your glory. I want people to see me through my work, through my speech, 
everything that I do, we confess our need to God. We petition him and ask him for help. Are you asking God for help? Here's what we do. We go to everybody else. You know, there's a, there's a brother in my church, and the guy's wealthy. Um, I'm just going to ask him to pray for me about this special need that I have. Hey, Brother Millionaire, um, would you pray for me? I, I have a need of about, oh, $3,450.27. Would you just pray that God would sort of burden somebody, right, to meet that need? Um, that's not prayer. That's called manipulation, all right? That's not. But praying for your need. God, this is what I need. I'm, I'm going to my closet. I'm asking you to take care of me. Do you pray? Are you praying? God's people should be known for prayer. You know, we have a prayer meeting here on Thursday, and I understand it's a, it's a hard time. It's 9.30 on Thursday morning. But you know what? It'd be nice to see more people coming out to pray for this church and for the salvation of loved ones to pray. We should pray together. There should be a time that we pray. As families, we ought to be praying together. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Dads, fathers, you should be leading your family in prayer. And listen, it's okay if all you know, hey, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. I mean, that's, that's a beginning. But don't stay there. Learn to communicate with God. We must pray. Confess our need to God. Petition and ask for help. And then take hold of His promises. We're not told exactly what Samuel says here. But in verse number 9, he calls upon the name of the Lord. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. He is claiming to Yahweh, the self-existent one. The one who is the great I am. And so he, he says, he calls on God who he is. And we pray we must call upon the God who is. And then what he has done. And what he has said. Listen, this morning, I want you to understand something. No matter who you are. You are helpless. And you are desperate. This life is fleeting. It is passing. You control nothing. Don't be arrogant. We are helpless. We are needy. Someone said, yeah, Christianity, that's weak. It's for the weak. Yeah, it is. Because we're all weak. We're all sinners. But we have a strong God. We are helpless and desperate. Whether you realize it or not, this morning, you are desperate. If you're lost without Jesus Christ, listen to me, there is not a church or a religion or a set of good works that's going to save you. None. You can be the best that you think you can be, a good father, husband, mom, dad, worker, employer, but listen to me, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you will die and go to hell. You are desperate. There is nothing you can do. You insult God when you say, thanks for dying on the cross for me, but I'm going to add this. It doesn't work that way. We are desperate. We are needy. We are condemned. We are desperate for salvation. We are desperate in our daily life. Moms and dads, grandparents, single adults, we're not smart enough to live this life. There are too many pitfalls. There are too many traps. We need him. And we are desperate in this church. This church cannot move forward unless we call upon his name. We come this morning with empty hands. With empty hands. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling.
The songwriter goes on to say this, Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for rest. And so this morning, I want you to know something. If you already realize it this morning, if you find yourself in a place where there's nowhere to turn, there's no way out, I'm in a really bad spot, I want you to know something. If that's you this morning, you're in a good place. Because it's when we are there and know it that God shows himself strong on our behalf. And for the rest of us who don't think we're there, may God open our eyes to see that we truly have empty hands this morning. And the best place to be with empty hands is at the foot of the God who loves to make much of the least. Because he is all-sufficient. And so this morning, may we come to him and say, Lord, I need you. I am desperate. Take this ransomed life of mine and use it any way you want to. And Lord, help me in this situation that you've brought me into, that I'm here now, to live a life that reflects your glory for the cause of Christ. The children of Israel are in trouble. They were surrounded. Every prop was taken out from underneath them. There was nowhere to turn. And God brought them there. It was a good place to be. Because he was going to reveal to them the God that he is. And for us this morning, I want you to know something. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, if you have a sense this morning that you are helpless, that you are needy, that you're desperate, you're in a good spot. And I would encourage you now to call upon his name, to stand still, and to see the salvation of your God. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.